Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to our special jam-packed Texans, Jags, and Astros Rays ALCS Game 1 post-game show. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen, we'll get to a Texans celebration later, but we got to start with the most important game in Houston first. And for the Astros... These aren't the Twins or the A's. The Rays pitching, they're legit, and they play the Astros tough. Boy, they sure do, Robert. I, I mean, the Astros should have remembered that from last year. I mean, they, their pitching was great last year, starting in bullpen, especially the bullpen, and it's the same way again this year. And you know what? If you get into the sixth or after the sixth inning with the Rays, if you're one of their opponents, it doesn't bode well for you if you're trailing. Because they are a phenomenal 28-1, and one, the Rays are, when leading after six. It didn't bode well for the Astros tonight, Robert. But it's not like they didn't have their chances. And, and really, the fourth and the eighth inning, to me, were the turning points in the game as far as the hitting goes. Because those were the two innings. You had the bases loaded. You had a chance to break it open. But the race pitching just bore down, and the Astros just couldn't get anything going. You said it. Uh, that's the first thing I was going to talk about was missed opportunities for the Astros. Correa grounds out with the runner on second in the first. Maldonado flies out with the bases loaded in the fourth. Aledmus grounds out with runners on first and third in the sixth. Yuli grounds into a, a just devastating bases loaded double play in the eighth. And then in the ninth inning, Altuve strikes out with the man on second base, and I mean, that's the story. Yeah, the, the Gurriel double play was just especially crushing, and, and it just, you feel for Gurriel, you keep waiting and waiting for him to get it going, because he has been in the most miserable slump. I I don't know, you tell me, Robert, I, I cannot remember a longer slump for Gurriel since he's been with the Astros. You know, it's it's just really sad to see what's happened to him this year, and you start to wonder, is this age catching up? Maybe, I hope not. Um, you know, because I consider him the most clutch Astro I've seen in my lifetime. His career with runners in scoring position, 319 with a 903 OPS. That's for his career, Stephen. Yeah, that that's money right there. And uh, he did sign for some more money. So you're going to have to pay him all that. But you just you've got to believe he's going to come out of it at some point. And that's why Dusty Baker keeps playing. I think he was even quoted as saying, well, you can't get it going from the bench. So he's apparently he's going to stick with Gurriel just as A.J. Hinch did with George Springer, and we saw how that turned out. So all we can do is hope that Gurriel will get it going in this series, and they're certainly going to need it. They're, they're, I mean, every bat's going to have to come alive now. You're down one game to none, and the race pitching just being so solid and as deep as their bullpen is. And then you've got a day game coming up on Monday – and the later you get into that game, the shadows are going to play another part, just like it did in the A series at Dodger Stadium. And frankly, you know, I, I as I liked when he did this in the Dodgers series, I liked it again that Dusty, instead of putting Reddick in the lineup as an automatic, he goes to Aledmus Diaz. And Aledmus, you know, he had he didn't come up in that one big situation, but he was one for four. Uh, in the game, so he did pick up a base hit, and and then Josh Reddick was able to come off the bench for you late in the game and get the base hit and get you at least in position to try to win the or tie or win the game. I guess I, I can't find fault with really any decision that I can think of that Dusty made or or didn't make in this game. I think as as we said, I think it's just a case of missed opportunities 
and the bats had their chances, but unlike the A series, just didn't come around. Yeah, you look at the lineup. I mean, nobody was terrible. You know, I I thought thought um, maybe Martin. You know, he went hitless, but you know, George Springer was one for five. He did get a base hit. Altuve two for five. Uh, Brantley one for three. Bregman two for four. Uh, Correa, you know, he didn't get a hit, but he got a couple of walks. Kyle Tucker has gotten a hit at every single playoff game so far. He continues to be super consistent. He was one for four. He had that line out that hurt a ton because he hit it on the screws, and that could have been a, a game changer if that gets through the infield. Um, so all the way up and down the lineup, you know, Yuli, even though he didn't have the two hits or he didn't have any hits, he had the two walks. So, you know, he was giving you something as well. And so if you look at what the Astros did, again, we just, I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's missed opportunities. Yeah, and it just wasn't enough. And what I would say about Kyle Tucker, I mean, it, I, he did make good contact with the ball. It's just not, it, it just didn't drop for him. I, I would like to see, you know, if he could just get some more extra base hits, that that would certainly be nice. I don't think he's had one this postseason, but he has had some timely hits and, and is making good contact with the ball. And and one thing that I also thought the Astros hitters did a good job of, Robert, even though it didn't pay off, they were very patient at the plate. I mean, they made Blake Snell go very deep into counts in the first several innings. He had 29 pitches in the first inning. I believe he had 57 after three innings. So they at least they've been patient at the plate. They haven't been swinging at too many bad pitches. So maybe if that continues, they can just get the you know a, a couple of timely hits that they need in each game. Because I just have a feeling that this is going to be a fairly low-scoring series. First inning, it looked good. Altuve, solo home run. I think he's like five for seven now with uh, three home runs versus lefties in the postseason. So he's doing an incredible job against lefties, which, you know, the Astros uh, are just excited to have the old Jose Altuve. He gets a a base hit in the next at-bat, but his third at-bat against Snell just a disaster by the home plate umpire, Manny Gonzalez. None of Snell's first five pitches were strikes, even though two of them were called strikes. But, Stephen, I've just come to expect lousy umpiring. So, same old stuff. Well, and, and Manny Gonzalez, this isn't the first time that he's just not gotten it right behind the plate. You know, even this postseason, the Astros seem to end up with him on uh, several of, uh, several occasions. So, yeah, uh, when when is the... Um, when are the robo umps going to be coming along? That's what I want to know. Yeah, that was the question on Twitter, and I I feel like it's got to come soon. Uh, Maldonado, no base hits, but third inning, you know, he showed off the hose to gun down Kiermaier at third base, and you know, Maldonado, he's going to give you something. He's going to help you out some way, as we've talked about. So you know, for the Astros, it's just it's they're going to have to the timely hits are going to have to be. Uh, all part of this series if they're, if they're planning to win it. And it's going to be tough tomorrow because you've got, guess who? Lance McCullers. Uncle Charlie. Yeah. Uh, yes. And and it's Lance McCullers has got him. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, boy, the Astros are going to have to figure out Uncle Charlie a little bit. And Lance McCullers is going to have to come up with a big start in the postseason. And it's been a while since we've seen that from Lance McCullers. Yeah, it has been, and he's been a little bit shaky, and he doesn't go all that deep. So, uh, you know, Dusty is fortunate that he didn't have to go too deep into his bullpen in Game 1, but that might not be the same story in Game 2. And you know Charlie Morton is going to be amped up to pitch against the Astros, and he's going to be tough, and he's been good in the postseason. So 
boy, the, you know, winning game one would have sure would have been good for the Astros, especially knowing you're going to face Charlie Morton in game two. And, you know, even though he wasn't at his sharpest, Fromber pitched well. He certainly pitched well enough for the team to win. If the hits had come around, it, it, it would have been probably a win for him. He walked four batters, but none of the Well, one of them came back to hurt him. Uh, and there were a couple of defensive plays that were made. They fortunately didn't come home to roost. But, yeah, it's just going to be especially tough now that you're down one game to none and you're facing Charlie in game two. And we talked about it before this series started. The ballpark is playing a factor. You know, we saw what happened with the Dodgers and the ball sailing out. San Diego, the ball does not fly out. The Astros, you know, they had a night game. Um, maybe that had a little bit to do with it because they were playing mostly day games with the Dodgers series or all day games, but the next game will be a day game. Maybe in San Diego, the, the ball's going to fly out a little bit more in the next game. Who knows? But you have the shadows later in the day. I, I think I heard that uh, when they were taking batting practice before game one, it was around 5.30 their time, or our time probably, and the shadows were just awful, is, is what I understand. So you get to that part in the game, it's, uh, I believe it's 3.07 Central Time on Monday. So when you get into two, two and a half hours into the game and the shadows start coming up, that could definitely play a part. So that's why I think, you know, there, there may be a possibility some balls will fly out in the day, but I, I can just see a very low-scoring series so if that's the case, the Astros, they're, they're not going to have a whole lot of opportunities, so they really need to take advantage of them when they can. Last thing I, I just want to mention is, you know, I, I don't feel like, you know, we, we just realize what we're seeing, but Framber Valdez has just turned into just a fantastic pitcher. I mean, it's just this guy comes out on big stage. You pitch him in game one of the American League Championship Series because that's where the Astros are right now. They need Framber Valdez to be the the first pitcher in game one. And he was sensational. I mean, outside of the, the, the walk in the fifth inning, that leadoff walk, I mean, those are going to, they're going to come back and bite you. But, you know, Fromberg did what you you wanted him to do. He, he gave up two runs. He gave you a bunch of innings. He threw a hundred plus pitches or, or close to that. So th that's a, a, exactly an all you could ask for. I don't think it's a stretch to say he has been the savior of the Astros pitching staff because you just wondered who in the world is going to be able to step up when Justin Verlander went out. And and the last person I would have come up with is Framber Valdez. And I know you feel the same way, Robert, but that's exactly what he's done. He's not a Verlander, but he's come as close as anybody could possibly do to filling those shoes and being, at this point, he is certainly the ace of the Astros staff. There's no question about that. I had an unusual experience this morning, Steve, and I was sort of looking forward to the Texans because – I could root for the team guilt-free for the first time in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, it's uh, yeah. No, I think the the players probably felt the same way that they could actually loosen up and play a game and and play better. And uh, you know, they they still have some things to work out, no question about it. But you've got to start somewhere. And uh, hey, they're they're one and four, Robert. One down. 11 more to go, and they'll be 12-4 and four and have one of the best records in the AFC. You know, there's always that to look forward to. Yeah, Romeo getting the guys excited after the game. How about this? Deshaun said that this about Romeo, which I thought was a telling quote. He said, he's just very loose. He's got guys laughing, enjoying, wanting, wanting to come to meetings. He lets the coaches and staff, uh, you know, do how they 
do or what, you know how they want to coach, then we play as one. It's about being a family, you know, supporting and serving one another. And that it kind of felt like a little bit of a smack at some other guy that was the head coach the last a few it's, years yeah, without saying his name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it's true though. And you could see it. There was definitely more life to the team. Don't you think in this game? I mean, even when they faltered a bit, they did come back and do what they had to do. And they, they certainly played with a lot more life. And I think, you know, with the exception of a few times where it still felt like the old Texans offense was coming back, uh, you know, especially in that first possession, they did open things up and be a little bit creative. They had the empty backfields a few times and some other things. So it just it, it was good to see that there was actually some life to this Texans team. Bradley Roby said Romeo pulled out some great dance moves in the locker room. The oldest coach to ever coach an NFL game. And Roby said, man, he did like five dances. He did the Soldier Boy, the Macarena, the Disco. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Steven, can you do any of that stuff? <laughs> Heck no. I, I couldn't even I, – I would embarrass myself on a dance floor. I mean, I can slow dance with a girl, and that's about it. So what what are we going to call it? The rack dance? Is is that – we can kind of put a nickname to it, the, the, rack, the rack dancing? Is that is that going to be the new craze for the Texans and maybe even spread throughout the NFL? I don't know. Yeah, it's funny because James Lofton was saying in the broadcast on, on the national – broadcast of the of the game he said you know romeo acts like he's 37 even though he's 73 and you know i've seen romeo in a bunch of press i mean i've been out there a ton in person over the last few years and romeo not mr excitement not mr you know kid at heart in my book but according to i guess the guys behind the scenes and what james lofton was saying he, he's he is that guy it's it's kind of funny it's not what you're expecting from a Belichick and Bill Parcells disciple. Let's remember that. That's right. That That's right. Well, and look, if you're Romeo Cornell, this is probably his last go round as far as being a head coach, even, you know, even though it is in the interim, but, and yes, there's pressure, obviously there's pressure, but it's not as if he's going to be looking at trying to get this team back on the right track for the next several years. His job is to make the next, well, now 11 games of the season at least bearable, and maybe they can even catch fire and make some noise. So I think it's he's he's definitely looser. He's, he's being loose, and I think that's rubbed off on the team, certainly in this first game. Now, it's only one game, Robert, and you know what they say about emotion. It can only last so long. The team's going to have to bear down and play like that the rest of the season if they're even going to have a chance to make some waves. But... They're off to a good start, and that's all you can ask. You just got to take it one game at a time at this point. Yeah, I mean, you said it. I mean, just a quick reminder, even though Deshaun had 359 yards and three touchdowns and the Texans had 486 total yards, they were playing a defense without their three best players all injured. This wasn't the 85 Bears they played, but you got to start somewhere, and they got to get confident, Stephen. That's the big thing. I mean, this is a team that just didn't seem to have much confidence as we watched them this year. And maybe just a lot of joy and heart. And maybe that that's where, you know, the change of coach is, is helping a little bit. Well, and you're talking about defenses and the Jaguars defense is not a great defense. Yeah. The, a lot of those Pro Bowl guys they had are gone. And, uh, you know, Josh Allen was out. So here's uh, in five of the Texans possessions, they started 
deep in their territory. I think they were at the 15, the 9, the 20, the 6, and the 10. And, you know, they, they were able to score a field goal and a touchdown. But, you know, if you're the Jaguars, they weren't – they at least – they could have stopped them on both of those. A good defense probably would have. And the Texans might not be looking at such a close score. So, you know, it, it was good to just see the offense kind of get things going. Yeah, they started a little bit. And the defense, they gave up some big plays. But – Hey, Robert, they actually made some plays, plays that we've been wanting to make all season long. Yeah, just a quick heads up on the Texans offense. Uh, One first down and punt on the first drive. That was the last punt of the game. They had a couple turnovers that ended some drives. We'll get to that. But, Stephen, did you notice that the Texans went deep on the first play and it worked? It actually worked. Well, that's where I was thinking, you know, that, that Tim Kelly was, I guess, finally able to be his own guy or, you know, at least more of his own guy, and just open things up a bit. I talked to you, you, I talked about the empty backfield where you had David Johnson out to the right, you know, with three receivers to the right, and then, you know, going long on first down. Those are the things the Texans are going to need to do offensively yeah, to, to just open things up and just be less predictable. Yeah, Fuller caught that long pass, and I, I feel like I've been griping about that for six years. I mean, running the ball on first down, I hate that. I mean, first down, I'm talking about, First time you get the football, you want to put the other defense on their heels. You want to open it up. If you go deep, it makes them think about it, loosens up the other team's defense. So the second drive, long drive, ends on a field goal. Wasn't happy with the screen pass on third and 12 deep in Jags territory. That was not inspiring. I mean, you you should be just doing, pulling out all your stops at this point. Tim Kelly can't be conservative with literally nothing to lose. The third drive, though, Four-play, 75-yard drive, Deshaun to Darren Fells, 44-yard touchdown pass, longest Texans offensive play of the season. How about that? Then Deshaun throws the interception with 26 seconds left in the half on the tip pass. That's on Deshaun. You know, he 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 he, he just threw it, um, and, and it was too low of a, an angle, and, and that, that was on him. But, you know, only four drives in the first half. You, you said it, Steven. It's like <laughs> the Texans... They're, they're not going to get the ball a ton of times on offense because the Texans defense is going to leave them out there a lot. Well, and here's what I liked, you know, on the drive, even though they just ended up with a field goal, Robert, it was a 17 play drive and it ate up some clock. So that's the kind of ball control offense the Texans need to do, especially against the better teams. I mean, to think if they could have done that against the Chiefs or the Ravens or the Steelers or, or even the Vikings, they might have fared much better. They wouldn't have been trailing by double digits so much in, in all the games that they have. So that was good to see that they were actually playing some ball control. You know, you just need to keep it in the uh, scoring in the red zone and get touchdowns more than you do field goals. But it was definitely a good start, a, a better start than they've had the last few weeks. Yeah, the tip pass, that was his first mis- big mistake for Deshaun. Next drive to start the second half, nine plays, 60-yard drive. Deshaun overthrows and open David Johnson in the end zone, which ends the drive fair bear and 33-yard field goal. Kaimi's been really good after that first, I think it was a miss in the first week on a long field goal. Uh, Deshaun intercepted on the next drive when he throws it deep into double coverage to Fuller off of Fuller's hands. So you could say, oh, Fuller should have had it, but he had to make a tough adjustment. It would have been a great catch. And it's just a bad decision by Deshaun. There's a couple there and that three, three different drives, uh, the fourth, fifth, and sixth drive that he's got to clean up. And this is Jacksonville. This is a defense that you can't be given easy 
you know, easy chances away. I mean, luckily they were able to get some points later on, but I mean, those were easy chances, Stephen. Yeah, they were. And those are just the times where Deshaun, I think, tries to do too much and he throws into coverage when it can get very dangerous. And you just you have to be so precise with it. And that's one thing, you know, Deshaun has, has had some problems, especially in the last couple of weeks with throwing passes too low. Or And as you said, he overthrew Johnson in the end zone. The accuracy, yeah, still a little bit into question, but certainly not as bad this week as it has been in the, the previous three games. Next two drives, you got the Deshaun to Will Fuller touchdown, 19-yard touchdown on, on a seven-play, 71-yard drive. Then it was a six-play, 47-yard drive, the Kaimi field goal. But the the play that everybody was talking about, Stephen, after the game was the Texans. They cause a turnover. We're going to go back to the defense in a bit. But it's fourth and four at the 28. And Romeo goes for it on fourth and four. What did you think of that? Well, it worked. That, that's the big thing. It worked. Yeah, if it if it had been somebody else, uh, it probably wouldn't have worked, and we'd be sitting here talking a totally different story. But yeah, it it, it is a risk, most certainly, but it worked, and that's the great thing about it. Deshonda Cooks for a twenty eight yard touchdown, and Brandon Cooks, you are in a Texans uniform. Wow, eight catches, one hundred sixty one yards. Yeah, how about that? I I think that was uh, his best game probably since 2018. I think it's been since 2018 that he's had a 100-yard game. So it was certainly good to see him light it up because somebody needed to step up in the receiver core. And so uh, Brandon Cooks was the man today. On defense, the Texans played a little bit bend, but don't Hauschka defense, or I don't know what you would call it, maybe. (laughs) But uh, it was like, okay, the first drive, it was good. One first down and a punt, Zach Cunningham. He gets a sack that ends the drive after pressure from Jacob Martin, who, you know, is secretly doing a really good job when he gets his chance to get in there and rush the passer. Then they give up two first downs and a punt. So it starts off pretty good for them. But then there's the 12 play, 75 yard drive. Minshew to Keenan Cole, 13 yard touchdown pass. Then there's a 12 play, 69 yard drive. They get lucky because Hauschka misses the little gimme field goal. But then Deshaun gives it back on the interception. Then Hauschka misses another field goal. It's a tougher one, though, 49 yards. But NFL kickers usually make those indoors. So uh, then you've got uh, the second half where there was a three and out. Whitney Merciless a sack. Uh, he had a tackle for loss, Steven, a QB hit in this game. Uh, he's given you a little bit of everything again. I mean, a couple good games in a row for Merciless. we got to mention that. Did you ever think the day would come that Whitney Merciless has more sacks than J.J. Watt? Think about that for a second. Oh, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, that's true. Although, hey, let me tell you, Watt was looking good, especially in the second half. He was getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. He was. He was. And he recovered that fumble. So, you know, he he did contribute. But it did just occur to me. It's like, I would, you know, when would Whitney Merciless outrank J.J. Watt in the number of sacks? Yeah, you just mentioned that recovery that Watt made on the fumble. Jags fumbled a halfback pass on fourth down. And this is very Chris Brown, Texans versus Jags back in the day. You're like, what are they doing on fourth down here? <laughs> and Steven, I-, I was wondering if it would take a miracle for the Texans defense to finally get a turnover this year. Well, they got a miracle and total incompetence. How about that? that? Sometimes that's just what you need, though. You need a little bit of luck. You need a little bit of incompetence. And you, you just need an opportunity. And so <laughs> thankfully for the Texans, they got all three today. Big drive for the next one on the Jags. Uh, 10 play, 75 yard drive. 
Minshew to Colin Johnson, four-yard touchdown on fourth down. Uh, that made it 20-14. to 14. Then I mentioned Jacob Martin earlier. Boy, oh boy, huge sack fumble by Jacob Martin. And Tyrell Adams recovers, and the Texans' defense comes up with a big play. We haven't seen the Texans' defense come up with a big play all year. All year, Stephen, but they came up with that one. Yeah, how about that? And and the thing is that Martin, he he almost, or no, I'm sorry, Cole, was, I think, recovered the ball, then he lost it, but then Adams finally got it. And listen, Terrell Adams was playing for Bernard McKinney today. He had 13 tackles, one of them a, a tackle for loss. So how about Terrell Adams? He was definitely bringing it on the defense today. Yeah, no Bernard McKinney. He was out with the injury. Jordan Aiken's out with the injury. I think it. I think it wasn't Cole. It was. It went through Merciless's arms. It looked like. Was it Merciless? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he had a chance to even add to his big game with that recovered fumble. I th- think he, they gave him maybe one in the stat book initially, but then they took it away. And then uh, the last drive on defense, they get the fourth down in completion with about a minute and a half to go. Eric Murray had some good coverage on that one. But I mean, Steve, this is the Jags. It's nice. You know, there were some positives. There was some stuff. I, I, I just feel like the Texans just need some stuff to build off of. Next week, they're going to face the Titans, who might be coming. It looks like they're going to be coming in without playing for two weeks, I, I guess. <laughs> or three weeks, I guess. All, all together, three weeks, right? Yeah, three weeks, I, I guess. It, it's a whole, And now the whole NFL schedule is becoming a mess, and it's going to be awfully interesting to keep up with from this point forward. And you wonder how all this is affecting the Titans. I mean, they've been playing well up to that point. So it is going to be interesting to see what happens with that. But, you know, with the Texans, it, it, was, a, it was a good start. But I, I think we need to be careful about jumping up and down and celebrating, thinking that the firing of Bill O'Brien is going to solve all the Texans' problems. They still have some things to work through, and it's still a long season. They got 11, 11 games left, and they were already 0-4 to start. So while I'm cautiously optimistic— I don't want to get too caught up in the fact that all the problems are over just because Bill O'Brien is gone. This this team still has a way to go. And you said it, Robert, it was against the Jags. They're struggling. But the other thing I think we can take from this, Robert, and I was thinking about this earlier after the Texans victory is, you know, the Texans played probably the three best teams in the AFC already. They played the Chiefs. They played the Ravens. They played the Steelers. I'm not saying it, it gets easier from here, but at least it gets a little more bearable since you, you're not, you're not going to be playing those teams again in the regular season. So if they're going to build on something, now is certainly the time to do it. And it was a good start against, albeit a lowly team like the Jaguars. Yeah, after the Titans, though, and like I said, the Titans, they've, they've already have three weeks off, so they're going to be ready to hit somebody. And that's a difficult team. And, you know, it's it's a good team. It's a really good team, uh, according to at least their record. But, you know, you got the Packers and – Aaron Rodgers right after that. Then you got the Jags again. Um, so maybe a couple of wins uh, in the next three would be nice. I don't know if you're going to beat the Titans and the Packers, though. I mean, that's, that's going to be yeah. super difficult. And, and, and Bill O'Brien's memory today, we, we got to mention that one of his favorite all-time trades, the DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson trade, hey, 17 carries, 96 yards. That's 5.6 yards a carry. hey hey bill o'brien's a genius we can put that label on him finally no maybe not uh at least the running game was better we'll say that you know it it wasn't gangbusters but it was certainly better 
And again, it's something to build on for next week. Did you see the Falcons pull the Cal McNair today? They got rid of their coach and GM. Maybe it'll still too late. But, you know, in their case, Steve, it was two different guys. It wasn't the same guy. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. And and you kind of you just knew that had to be coming soon. I mean, if gosh, if Bill O'Brien was going to be fired after four games, he had to go. When in the world is Dan Quinn going to get the axe from the Falcons? And yeah, it, it finally happened after their game today. So, yeah, both both teams. It seems like this was a long time coming for Dan Quinn and OB was, you know, getting to the playoffs. So it was like, it's tough to get rid of the coach, but you know, the problem was they got locked into the GM thing and we've gone over all that, but it just, that's the, I guess the big difference between the Falcons and the Texans. And, and you know, the other thing that I, I I'm just going to be interested to see um, as far as tomorrow um, is the the TV rating, Stephen, on Sunday night with the NFL regular season game going on against the NBA Finals Game 6 with the Lakers and then against the Astros game. You think anybody watched the Astros outside of Houston and Tampa? <laughs> oh, I bet millions of people were tuned in to the Astros, if nothing else, just to see them lose. <laughs> no, I, yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, with the NBA Finals, you can't really plan for that because they could have wrapped it up on Friday. So, yeah, you had three... You had the Seahawks-Vikings game, then you had the Astros game, and then you had the NBA Finals. So, yeah, like you, Robert, that, that's a good point. I'm going to have to kind of look it up and see what the TV ratings do in the next couple of days. So I was thinking maybe for the next 30 minutes we need to talk about the Lakers and how excited we are that the Lakers won a championship and the long-suffering Lakers fans and Dwight Howard, you know, because, you know, he puts in so much effort to his game on a year-in year and year-out basis that he finally got his champion. Where do you want to start, Stephen, with this? <laughs> oh, I, I have been glued to the NBA playoffs ever since the Rockets were eliminated, Robert, just so I can see the Lakers hopefully pull it off. Not. Uh, let's see. I think I watched a little bit of Game 3 of the Heat-Lakers series, and that's it. That That's all I've really tuned into. I have not been into it. I've kept up with it from a distance, but... Watching the games, nope, not not this guy. Yeah, I, I watched him. The Eastern Conference, less so, but the Nuggets were a fun team to watch, and you wish the Rockets showed half the heart of the Nuggets, and, I mean, that goes without saying. And then the Heat, I, I just wanted to see, you know, what they had and what they could bring to this Lakers series, and, you know, they got the big blow. Leading scorer, Goran Dragic, goes out at the beginning of the series, and that was just a – it was a – killer for them. And then they lost also for a couple of games. Uh, they lost Bam Adebayo with the injury too. I mean, that just a double blow for them. And if not, maybe they could have made this a, into a seven game series. I never believed for a second that they were going to beat the Lakers, but they, they could have made it a series. The reason though, I was watching the heat is I just wanted to see if I could learn anything, Steven, from the heat about maybe what the Rockets should be doing because you know, they, 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 they built this team not with a bunch of high draft picks. I mean, Jimmy Butler, obviously, the, the, they got him in free agency. So that was the big star on the team. But Adebayo is kind of a, you know, he's not a high, high pick. Uh, he was out of Kentucky, so he was well thought of. But, you know, he's one of their big guys. Dragic, we know uh, all, all of Dragic's story and what he can bring to a team. But you look at some of these other players and this is what the Rockets need to do, Stephen. You you got to go get the Kendrick Nuns and the Duncan Robinsons as undrafted guys and look at what they've become. I mean, Duncan Robinson, are you kidding me? And then, you know, Tyler Hero, I, I knew he was going to be good. I'm, I'm, I was shocked that he went so late in the lottery. I, I love Tyler Hero. 
But if you look at how they've built their team and the versatility that they have, and that that these are the, some of the elements, the toughness and the, and and, and three point shooting. This is what the, the Rockets are missing. Yeah, it is, and and that's what separates them from teams like the Spurs and the Heat who go for those players, the diamonds in the rough, I guess you could call them. And the Rockets really haven't done that. I mean, they've, they've tried to do it with big trades and big free agent signings, and, and that's all well and good. Uh, it's not like they have totally flopped, but they just haven't been able to get over the hump, and that's been the difference. And, and the Heat really, I, I think they gave the Lakers a better series, honestly, than I thought they would, just the way the Lakers were on a roll but they they definitely put up a fight, and I think you will hear from them again. The last story, and I, I nobody pays any attention to it, I'm sure, because everything else that's going on, it's like all the sports. We had no sports, and all of a sudden, it's like everything's dropped on us at, at the same time. It's like an avalanche of sports. But right. the French Open went on in the last couple of weeks and you know, just lost in all of the commotion. And ESPN, I don't think, even ran the U.S. Open, and NBC just... I, I, they ran the finals the last couple of days and that was about it. Most of it was on the tennis channel, but I, I did watch after the Texans played, I, I did want to watch, or actually it was before the Texans played. I'm sorry. I wanted to see some of the Rafael Nadal and Djokovic match um, because, you know, we're, we're getting to the end of the Nadal Federer era and there's not too many chances where you're going to get to see, you know, two of these three greats go against each other. And the sun came out, this morning and Rafael Nadal won his 13th French open. He goes to it and he wins it every single time. He's 102 in the French open. That's not his age. That's his record, Steven. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, I mean, I know you're a big Simone Biles fan. And I mean, that's almost like Simone Biles like in the, in regard to just the, the kind of performance that he puts up especially in tournaments like the French Open. And, uh, well, hopefully, you know, Roger Federer, it just, it's going to be, men's tennis, I'll be honest, I I just don't watch it very much. He's one of the reasons I would, but, you know, once he goes out, I don't know who I would even want to watch. I I tend to watch more women's tennis when I do watch tennis than I do the men's side. You know it's a given that Rafael Nadal is going to win when as soon as the match is over with, Federer has a prepared statement about Rafael Nadal congratulating him on tying his Grand Slam wins uh, with 20. You know, they each have 20 now. So (laughs) that's when you know it's a given. I guess he knew before it was going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, you know that you're getting getting ahead of yourself, but you're so confident that you'll just go ahead and prepare a statement, have it ready when the match is over. That's that's pretty good. So it's McCullers and Charlie Morton tomorrow for the Astros. We'll do the post game. Try to give you as many of these post game shows with the Astros throughout the week. It's every single day. If they get the seven games, we're going all the way till Saturday. We might miss a couple because uh, with some work responsibilities that I have later in the week. But join us for all of that. As always, message us through Twitter or Facebook. Email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.